Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dial the gate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome, everyone, to episode 22 of Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. Thank you for being with me. For those of you stateside, hope you had a good turkey day this past weekend. And uh, for those of you everywhere else, I hope that you're doing well and uh, ready to get into this holiday season. Whatever shape it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. But you know what? We're going to be getting through this together. I have Julie McNiven, who played Gin in Stargate Universe, with us this particular episode. But before we bring her in, I'm... I've still been away. So before we bring her in, I want to let you know, uh, I'm getting used to (laughs) get back at the controls again. Uh, I want to let you know that uh, after uh, Julie, we have Stargate Universe artwork that we are going to be showing you in uh, the feed. And I will also be making the guest announcements uh, for next week. For uh, our interview with Julie, I will be asking her questions. Uh, Our moderators are standing by in the YouTube live chat to take your questions for her throughout the show. And I I'll be asking those uh, later on in the episode. And before we bring in Julie, I'd just like to ask you, if you like Stargate and want to see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal if you click the like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. And please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. If you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops and you'll get my notifications of any last minute guest changes. This is key if you plan on watching live. All right. Julie McNiven, welcome to the show again. Hello. How are you doing? Chugging along. No, absolutely. I hear that. Let me give me just a second here. I'm having problems with the audio feed on your end. Oh. Let me save this here. Try uh, say something again. Testing one two. There we go. Testing. I apologize. Ah, so let me let okay. me start over for everyone else <laughs> and for the recorded audience, so I can cut into this later. Sure. Julie Mc, um, Julie McNiven, <laughs> welcome. Hi. Wow, I feel like I just did this. <laughs> How are Time you? Time is trippy in these COVID times. Yeah. Well, it's a um, Stargate, so it makes sense. So it's a Stargate interview. Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm doing well. Um, well as can be. We're. Just trying to stay positive here and uh, trying to keep in mind that this is all temporary. And have you um, soon? We can hug our friends oh, very I know. soon. Air, air hugging, hug air hugging know. sucks. You know, I'm a big hugger, so yeah. It's like this has been this has been a really hard year for me for that particular because I I really need that uh, physical connection. Yeah, me too. It's so, important. Have you worked since the lock since the lockdown earlier this year? Uh, no, my last gig actually was the first weekend in March. It was about a week before we got locked down here in Los Angeles. I had a flight 
to do uh, uh, an NDA thing up in mm-hmm. Seattle. And I was like, hmm, Seattle. Hmm, that's where, like, that was where our first outbreak yeah. was in, in America. And I was like, oh, that's, I don't know if I should be, well, okay. I mean, you know, I have you a got, job, I go do it. So I, yeah, but, but at that point you, you just didn't know anything really, except that there was this virus. Like you just didn't know any, the details of how bad it was or whatever. So I flew up there and I was actually in a seat next to um, Dr. Sanjay Gupta from CNN. <laughs> and I was like, Okay. Heading that All right, way. he's going to Seattle. And then someone I and I didn't, you know, I didn't probably watch enough CNN to know exactly. I I knew who, I knew he was like a guy, a health guy from Seattle. I didn't know exactly who he was. After the virus started, I was like, "Oh no, I know exactly who you are." Like <laughs> uh because I've seen you enough on CNN, but at that point like someone stopped and said, "Oh, hi. Are you heading up to the stuff happening in Seattle?" He's like, "Yeah." I was like, oh, okay. And then it turns out my hotel up there was like less than a mile away from this nursing home that the outbreak of that. And I was like, cool, cool. And I didn't touch anyone there. I didn't like the door. I was already like spraying the door handles and, you know, just being really careful. And that was my last gig. And then the the next week, um, Friday the 13th, I had sushi, a sushi date with David Blue. Uh. And I, I, I got to the restaurant. Some woman held the door for me with her arm, like, you know, with her body. Uh-huh. So I didn't have to touch it. And I sat down and I was like, David, I wanted, I was like really close to buying tickets to New Zealand this morning. Like real, like we just want to get out. My husband's from New Zealand. That was why, that was why the New Zealand, you know, and and I was like, no, this is, he was like, no, this is crazy. This is not as big as, you know, you're, you're being, you're overreacting. And I was like, no, it's going to be big. We got to get to New Zealand. Like we got to go. We didn't obviously, but we should have (laughs) because they're, they have a very, you know, they're an island. It's a lot different, but it's a, you know, it's a completely different there. situation it's in terms totally of population and everything else. It's yeah, totally. So. But uh, they also have a very um, skilled government. They did a really good job. They set everything up that needed to be set up, um, and they've been very successful. So since then, I just keep an eye on New Zealand as my oh would have. Would have, could have, but didn't. And your husband saw um, his family there. Oh yeah, and we've okay. you know we've been in touch with them. Of and, course, yeah. You know they're yeah, normal life down there, and and you know TVs and TV and movie shows have already you know gone back into production there mm-hmm. a while back. Um, so basically, everything I'm writing now, I'm like, oh, and this one also takes place in New Zealand. Oh hey, and this one, this one used to take place in America, but now it takes place in New Zealand. Wow! So I, um, I just, I'm like, you know what? Let's just, why not? Let's just uh, see if we can do it there. Are you relocating? Are you planning on relocating? No. I mean, no. It's a, it's kind okay. of a daydream, but I'm also like, you know, why not? Why not make something take place? Why does it have to take place in California or New England or whatever? It can take mm-hmm. place anywhere. It's your. Um, those things can also change, you know, you of can, of course, absolutely. At last, you know, last draft totally changed the, the location, but it's been kind of fun to figure out 
ways to be creative in that in that sense. The longer that this that this goes on, more and more productions productions are having to wake up to yeah. additional options. So I mean, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Vancouver and Toronto, I mean, have been filming. I forget how yeah. long now. It's been a while, so they have to make yeah. it work how they can. Exactly. So yeah, Julie, tell me a little bit about. Um, yourself before we really get into the thick of Stargate and your career and everything else. Where are you from and uh, who were you as a, a young person? Uh, I'm originally from Massachusetts. I grew up in um, Amherst, Mass, which is in the Pioneer Valley, surrounded by um, some very progressive, creative towns, um, five college areas. So there was a lot of mm -hmm. Um, opportunities there for extracurricular activities. I did tons of sports growing up. Um, you'd never know, but I used to be really strong. Um, uh, yeah, I, I swam most of my childhood. Um, I did gymnastics. I did softball, uh, soccer. Um, and then it was about eighth grade that I I did the town musical, um, Oliver, and I played the, the, uh, the Rose Cellar. She wasn't a big, you know, she came out in the second act and sang a solo and that was pretty much it. I was in the chorus, but uh, I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I think at, at that point I had already like decided I wanted to be on Broadway. That was like what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, but it wasn't until eighth grade that I was like, okay, I need to, stop doing all the sports. I need to pick up five dance classes a week. I need to train my voice. I, so I just like totally shifted my energies from sports over to, to how can I prepare myself for, uh, well, I always knew I wanted to go to college. How can I prepare myself for a musical theater degree? Right. Um, and you know, of course my, it, 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 my parents have always been very supportive of my dad always jokes that like, I made it onto the varsity swim team as a seventh grader and the coach was like, she can get a scholarship for this. And my dad's like, cool. And then like the next year I just dropped all my sports, uh, most of them. And, uh, and just started doing musicals and training and dancing and doing all that. And then the next shift probably didn't come till college where I would go to New York several times a year and just, do open calls or any appoint any auditions I could I could find I would do them, and it was when I I remember sitting outside of an audition room and listening to the girls before me go, and I was kind of like, huh, you know I could train every day with the most amazing teachers, and my voice will never sound like that. And it wasn't me being negative; it was me being a realist. So my realist probably came from my mother. My <laughs> realist side of me was like, okay, well, this isn't going to work. I don't want to be one of those people who has a dream and not the means to succeed in the dream. So I shifted once again. I was like, well, film and TV sounds like a more realistic, <laughs> which is kind of laughable now because there's nothing easy about this career either. Um, <laughs> but, you know, 
as a, as a 19 year old, I made that shift and I was like, okay. So I went and studied Shakespeare and I did some film and TV stuff, uh, early on and, and trained and, and then started booking in that. So I think I had a nice mix of my dad's dreamer mentality and my mom's realism to kind of keep my feet grounded without losing that, um, that dream, but like, you know, dream in reality. Well, you know, I do think it's, I, I have a lot of friends who are particularly in the, um, uh, they want to be in the video game industry mm-hmm. and that, that was my first major job oh, was cool. in the video game industry, starting off on Stargate worlds, which is in, was in production like 2007. So as, as a Stargate fan, I got into that uh, in, uh, business as a consultant, but not as a video game designer. And I've, right. had, I've had a number of friends since who have been like, this is what I want to do with my life. I'm like, guys, you don't understand how competitive this industry is. And yeah. it's, it's unfortunate to watch some of those friends a decade later still struggling to try and just get into it. And they're like, it's not happening. So yeah. I understand where you're coming from with that point where it's like, do I want to uh, tell myself because Mr. Rogers told me that I can be anything that I want to, right. to try and do that? Or do I want to look at what I am already or have a really good chance of being exceptional at and do that? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't and, blame and that. Blame you for that perspective at all. No. And, and I think that there's good things that come out of whatever choice you make. Look, if you decide, no, this is my dream. This is what I want to do. There's nothing that's going to stop you. Like literally no friend could say, honey, I think you should, you're really good, but you know, maybe you're better at this. No one's going to stop you if you want to do it. Because if you have that drive and that will, you will find a way to, to dip your toe in. Mm -hmm. And it depends on how far you can jump in. And that's really you know, like maybe I could have been a chorus girl. <laughs> maybe it's like, you know, if I had really trained with the best teachers and, but I just, I, 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 I love to sing and it's always been something that has been my first passion. Like I find so much joy in it and so much emotion. You can emote mm-hmm. so much with a song and, I love that. Um, and so I can do that in the car and I can do that in the shower and maybe a couple times on Instagram. And then, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's great. I still do it. Um, no, absolutely. I sing too. I, yeah. But, and yeah. I was told when I was younger, you could do this if you want. It's like, but it's not my, it's not the thing that I think I could be best at. Yeah. You know? And there's nothing wrong with that. No, no. So. Cause you can also learn a lot. I think by trying something that, that somewhere in your heart, you know, you're not going to be fully successful at, but you can try it and you can build tenacity and you can build uh, confidence and strength, even if you end up not doing it forever. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always good things that can come from it, I think. So. Yeah, there are practical skills that you pull from it. And yeah. one, of the, one of the common things that I, uh, that I have fans uh, ask me to ask the talent when uh, – more more frequently than not is uh, what advice would you have given your younger self and then 
perhaps perhaps me as as a, a result, you know, someone who is trying to uh, get into that industry, not necessarily in acting, but one form or another, based on your personal life experiences, what would you have um, liked to have known as an adult that you as, as an adult know now who could have told someone who was trying to get into the industry? I mean, you know, sometimes I joke that it's not totally a joke. It's partly real that like when people, when these young, you know, 15, 16, 17 year olds ask me their, the advice for, for getting into the business. And I'm like, well, is there anything else that you are equal to or more passionate about? Is there? Oh, there is. Okay. Then do that. (laughs) Do that. And, And it's not, it's not, you know, a, um, well, it's a, almost like a, you're telegraphing that there's an 18-wheeler heading towards you <laughs> if you don't get out of the like, way. And, and, and the thing is, if there's not something that you're more or equal to in passion, then there's nothing I'm going to say that's going to change your mind. And there's not one path to do this. You have to forge your own path. And I suggest, I always suggest to people, don't try to do someone else's path. It won't work because you're not that person. Uh, I use the analogy of like, look, everyone and their sibling or friend is lining up at the front door, right? To get into this business. Yeah. Don't go in the front door. Find a window, break in the back, whatever it is without being illegal, get in a different way. You have to change the way you're thinking. If you, if you want to even have a chance at getting into this business, you can't wait in line. No one, the, the, the thing is, no one's answering the front door. Especially not right now. And, and mostly never, because most of the people that get in have a connection. Oh, uh, my cousin, my friend, my, my uncle, my uncle's friend, like whatever it is, there's always someone that gets in before you. So you can't just wait in line. You need to figure out a way to get in. I, I ask people, you know, make a Venn diagram, put five people in that, uh, that you have a goal to have a meeting with or that you want to send your footage to or whatever it is. And just focus on those five people. See how you can get your Venn diagram, your circle closer to their circle. Um, Instead of just doing a mass mailing or uh, going to an open call where I could go to an open call right now and have a resume like I have and not get noticed at all. It's not, it's not, they don't, that's not how it works. It's just, it's just not. So I, I just, I think that I don't think anything or anyone could have stopped me. I was very goal oriented and, um, I mean, every single day I woke up and I did things for my career, little things, little steps, I've tried to figure out new ways to get in the, to this door and uh, used any and every resource I had to, mm-hmm. to do it. You're not waiting for lightning and I think, to strike. No. And I think, you know, the tricky part is as your career goes on and then, oh, you have agents now, you can't, you don't need to do all that footwork, but then you feel like you're just waiting. So you can't just wait. Right. Uh, I mentioned David Blue. So David and I have been writing together for three or four years, maybe. I don't know. A while. Um, And it was like, you know what? We can't just wait. And whether anything comes of these projects or not, it doesn't matter. It's that we have a creative need 
we have to express and we have to keep going, you know? So I am at an age in Hollywood where no, not as many people are interested in a, in a late 30, early 40s character right now or pretty much ever. If you were already famous before you hit this age, you're probably fine. But it's a very difficult age to, to continue to work in, which is why you see a lot of 40-year-olds just go mm-hmm. and then maybe come back when they're older or maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we'll it was like other I, interests or have a family exactly, or then come exactly. back. And, yeah. and then, yeah, because right. And, and, and it sucks because I, I think that there's worthy stories to tell of women who are starting to age. It's not the end of the world. We don't all have to get Botoxed and I mean, whatever you, I, I really, I don't, I don't, I don't do it. I don't have any problem with people doing it. I have a problem with Hollywood thinking that, that there's no interesting stories to tell of a woman who's seen things and who's mm-hmm. starting, who's starting to become an older woman. Mm-hmm. It, it's, uh, that's where my problem lies. So do you see that starting uh, to pivot a little bit compared to where we were decades ago. I do, but uh, it's still a very small market. So, uh, yeah, so I'm still working on my own work, you know, creating my own projects, um, be, let, letting myself tap into my creative power so Mm -hmm. that I can, um, feel good and feel worthy and, uh, feel like I'm doing something. There's something to be said for expressing yourself in whatever form that it is. And I don't think it's necessarily for, oh, look at me. Oh, give me praise. Oh, I've got praise now. Now I feel, now I have self-worth. Now I can move forward. It's right. it's even in like the creation of this show, just the, the creation of content, whatever yeah. form it is, either for your personal enrichment or for someone else, you know, there's something really to be said for that in the, in the, the the human experience and it's a powerful yeah. thing. And it's something that all of us do in one form or another, whatever industry we happen to be in. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Julie, who are your heroes? I, I think uh, you brought up your mom a little bit in terms of your, your, uh, your realistic look at, uh, mm-hmm. at what's expected, you know, in, in your journey. Uh, yeah. who, are, who are some others personally, professionally? Who, who encapsulates that, that Venn diagram of heroes surrounding you? <laughs> so I've never, I don't know if it's the Libra in me, <laughs> not wanting favorites. I've literally never, I mean, even if my, my son is like, what's your favorite food? I'm like, uh-huh. I cannot commit to one. <laughs> that would just not be fair. Um, I've never been one to have like one person. I think like I, I said from my mom, I, I pull her realism uh, from my dad, he's a dreamer. I pull his dream. I, um, I think that I think that I can see different qualities in lots of people. People I've worked with, people you know that I haven't worked with. That like I, I can't say that there's one or a few. It's not how I how I how I learn. Mm. I, I I I yeah. It's just not how I work. So I, I can't really answer that question, but, um, but I think that, uh, it's important to see qualities that you admire and, and, you know, not necessarily try to copy, but try to mm-hmm. see how that, how it works with you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So more 
unconsciously digested, I would suspect. I think so. so I think so. Like more dense composite yeah. than you would normally expect. I mean, from- I mean, it's, it's partly like, look, you know, all, all the sayings, like it's wh- whoever you hang out with, whoever your friends are, that's mm. the energy, the energy of your friends. You can, uh, depending on your personality, you can either be a sponge and take it in uh, either unconsciously or subconsciously or, uh, you know, if you have friends that aren't always this positive, um, let's figure it out kind of mentality, then you have to learn how to put that block so that you are there to support them, but not there to take their energy and, and have it drop you. Mm-hmm. Right. You down. So I think, yeah. And, and I think that, you know, I, I don't think it like, I think that's a good quality to have also because those friends need you to be there and not take their energy, but listen to their energy. Just like, um, you know, if you have a whole, you have a group or a person that's extremely forward thinking and moving and, and energetic, you know, every single person has a, a um, kind of overload moment, right? So then you also can put up your, cool I'm here for you but you're mm-hmm. a lot right now I love you you know so there's like I think you depending on who you're with and how you're blocking or reflecting skills are uh I, I think I don't know if this is making any sense but um yeah it's about taking in energy and or listening to energy no I, I can I can you know relate it to like if I was an empath or something and I'm not but if I was you know you you see those shows about mediums who are like but you have to put your wall up you can't be there for every ghost <laughs> so it's <laughs> well, yeah. you know so at some point you gotta you gotta say doors closed I'll be back well some of us really mirror like completely everyone around us and some of us are completely shut off from that so it really comes down to yeah. the person in terms yeah. of uh what your energy is or whatever you you feel about whatever EM signal that you are giving off into the universe and yeah. those people that are around you and that who are around you and how they how they derive life from those who are in their circle as well because mm-hmm. we're all giving and taking from each other constantly yeah so yeah. It's, it's true birds of a feather flock together and mm-hmm. you know you are you are identified by who you who you are most surrounded with. So it's really important to be aware of that because we're all, yeah. we're all being watched. Exactly. And we're all being constantly considered. So. Yeah. And, and sometimes energies are, you know, you, you lose control of what you're taking in and what you're giving out. And mm-hmm. you need to kind of be checked on that. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So. Do you have a, um, a role that stands out among the others as one of the more difficult or unexpected, but rewarding experiences uh, of your life. Um, I think that, um, I mean, I, I find every role of plate has been rewarding. Um, but I think there's one, one in particular that allowed me to, to kind of heal or not, maybe heal a little bit or just release 
some of my grief. So I, I did this movie called Black Hearted Killer. Um, it aired on Lifetime last last year sometime. Or no, maybe it was. Yeah, maybe it's it was a TV February. movie this year. Yeah. It's a TV, the, yeah. So it was recently. I, I shot it last November. Playing and a character named Julie. <laughs> yes. Uh, that was just coincidence. But um, <laughs> I, um, I was a woman who had lost her daughter in a car accident. And it was literally like we sh- it was one of those movies we shot in like. It was like 13 days. It was a really quick shoot. Um, really, you know, you just know your stuff. A few takes on each angle and we move on. And um, I think there were like two out of the 13 days that I wasn't doing scenes where I had to cry. And um, totally. But I, I think that oddly I kind of went into the experience being like I'm just gonna kind of I I knew the group I was shooting with I knew everyone I trusted everyone so it wasn't uncomfortable at all Mm -hmm. um I I let myself just really truly feel all of my grief about my brother's passing and I just let that really it's been several years so it was kind of in a safe place where I knew I wasn't going to, it wasn't going to pull me down. Like after cut, I was okay. Right. I may have been full blown sobbing, but take a deep breath and I'm okay. And it's, you know, it's far enough away from the actual incident that, um, that I could allow myself to do that. Was it a sudden which, loss? No, no, it was oh, a slow, a prolonged, horrible, oh my God. Oh, uh, yeah. six, six, 18 months, 16 oh, month man. loss. Um, so you had a lot of emotional range to tap into from a prolonged experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, I had, I had allowed myself to, to go there for, um, for several years, uh, you know, in auditions or whatever, but, um, this was the first like actual, like you know, two week experience, right. Where I was like, okay, here we go. Um, and, and I, I kind of, I think it was a really beautiful experience. Um, I, I am tearing up thinking about it. Um, I think there's a very few jobs in this world where you're allowed to like, you, you know, it's hard to go into like a data entry job and be like these two weeks, I'm just going to be crying about my brother. Like you can't do that. It's not acceptable and it doesn't actually help you. Yeah. Especially with your, with whatever work you're doing in the data entry. Exactly. It's, it's not, you can't come. I just, I can't think of another, I mean, I I suppose a visual artist could do it. A painter, a singer. Um, it, you can fully express your grief in that way. And, and I feel really lucky that I was able to take, to have this role and that I felt safe enough to just kind of not know what was going to happen, but know that I was going to be safe. So it was okay. And I could just allow it. Um, and it was, it was definitely um, an, a, a really a good experience. Cathartic. Yeah. 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 It, it's a couple of things, I think. I think it has a lot to do with the people that you are f- surrounded with in a particular yeah, project. Do I have the 
the freedom to go there, but also the tragedies that we experience um, are things that can either destroy us or help us create a more extraordinary us in spite of the horrible things that we deal with. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. And the the fact that you are in an industry that, that allows you to tap into that and exorcise those, mm-hmm. those dark, darker aspects of, of, you know, the things that you've dealt with and come away yeah. with, with like, you know what I went there and I was able to make a product or contribute to a work of art. Yeah. That I'm more set that I'm satisfied with because I had those life experiences in spite of yeah, those life experiences. Exactly. That's really exactly. something. It's it's um I feel really lucky that I I was able to to have that role and to um you know it, I can't say that, you know, grief is a finite it's not. You, there's not like a, a mass of grief inside of me that I have to let out. It's a mm-hmm. constant uh entity that um will surprise you and that you know I, I saw a picture of my nephew a few weeks ago and I just was like oh my god every day he looks more and more like my brother and I just put I put my phone down and I just had a quick cry I was like okay but cool he looks like my brother cool this is your okay. brother's son yeah. Ah, so your so, brother has a legacy. So, that's that's good. Yeah, and and so uh you know, you can Oh, hello. My son is peeking in the room. He, so Taz. <laughs> <laughs> why don't you stay out there? Can you close Thank you. Um <laughs> He just can't help it. Aww. Um Yeah, anyway, I I I think that the opportunity to to release it's like it's like the the constantly boiling kettle mm-hmm. you just gotta you gotta let out the air in mm-hmm. order for it not to explode yeah we, and uh we don't you know, all experience grief and and you know, tragic circumstances in the same way but we we ignore those feelings to our peril and to be able to you know uh, 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 deal with them in, in their proper context and in a, in, in a, a, a way that, that contributes to, to something else positively is a good thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Julie, did you see the Stargate feature film before, um, uh, or, or SG one or Atlantis before, uh, joining Stargate Um, universe? I did, but I did not, I wasn't a regular watcher. So I think I was in, when did, when did the Stargate start? Like what year was it? The 90? TV series started in 97. Okay. So I was in high school and my dad is a sci-fi <laughs> nerd, just like me. He, so he watched it. And so I remember, you know, and I didn't really watch a lot of TV in high school or college. Cause really who had time? Right. I was too, I was too busy trying to, you know, get my degree. Um, so I definitely remember seeing several episodes, uh, but I, it's same with, you know, next generation uh, Star Trek. Oh, I saw yeah. a bunch of them, but I wasn't uh, actively w- viewing in the, the same way that my, exactly. Yeah. My dad was watching. And so when I got the audition for SGU, uh, there was a monologue. I think my whole audition was the monologue that I, I say to, um, 
Ming-Na um, when I'm like saying, what, what's going to happen now? Are you going to keep us all locked up? That whole monologue in one of my mm -hmm. first episodes. And um, I, I mentioned, I talk about the Gaulds and I, I looked at the page and I was like, oh God, I need to call my dad. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so I called my dad and I was like, okay, so how do I say this? And who are they? And why do I not like them? And what, you know, right. so he gave me the rundown. Um, <laughs> and so it was really kind of, it was really fun and special that, you know, I got to be on this show that he had watched all, all the way through and was already a big fan of. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I don't remember the question. What was the question? <laughs> oh, um, so how aware were you oh, of did, Stargate? How aware. Yeah. So that's how I was aware. Okay, um, through my dad. dad. My dad. And, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Did he enjoy Universe? He did. Okay. He did. He watched before. I think. I think I had watched some episodes before I even auditioned, um, and I think he had watched all of them. Okay. I believe. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and I I know it's very different. It than, is very different. It's a different tone than the other Star uh, Stargate. So uh, I know. I feel like I remember fans having a hard time adjusting to the tone. Uh, and I think it's too bad because I think that it got canceled too quickly. Way too prematurely. Way too quickly. I mean, and that happens all the time with shows, mm. but it's just, it's too bad because it already has such a gigantic built-in fan base. That if you just give them another year, mm -hmm. you could, you could, they can prove that, you know, it's like, it's just watching the Dylan documentary from like, I don't know, a long time ago. And everyone's so pissed at him when he starts singing of anything other than folk. But eventually they're like, oh no, you're still really cool. We think you're great. But it just took him some time because you have to get over your own idea of what you want it to be and just enjoy what's in front of you and enjoy that it still has the magic of Stargate. It's just a different point of view or a different experience. So I don't blame fans for having um uh trouble digesting it i blame fans for <laughs> being so loyal to previous uh versions it's of like the show their that they loyalty willing to give this yes. one a chance which is similar to the dylan thing it's like they right. were so loyal to him being this folk god right. that like you know how could they get, they were just mad. They were yelling at him. They were booing him. And I'm going, <laughs> Bob Dylan, you're booing, you're booing him. And then like six months later, you're going to be like, let's listen to that new Bob Dylan record. Because but you're an so artist. Good. You understand what he's trying to Re achieve in in himself. It's like, he's got to, it's, I mean, some people are, are perfectly fine. You can't do the fine. same thing. All some the can, but not everyone can, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. and it's. You have you have to grow, and the the funny thing is, I've lost count of the number of people I've met who've um, who are discovering the show, the the franchise now, and they're like, I don't give the problem is, <laughs> yeah, because SGU yeah. is 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 essentially, I mean, if it were made now, it would have been four seasons of ten episodes each, and people would have thought it was the best thing since sliced right. bread, you know, right? Look at look at Better Call yeah. Saul; it unpacks very slowly, you know, and yep. people love this stuff now. So I know it, it was like really ahead was of its time. Yes. Oh, uh, oh well. So who was Gin in that breakdown? So your dad told you that she had been 
God, if probably I can remember. a slave. And the Lucian uh, Alliance. The Lucian Alliance. Uh-huh. We then we you know, I think it was like okay, honestly, I can't remember. That's okay. I watched my episodes since they are, but uh, what the Lucian Alliance? Didn't we we boarded we boarded, boarded Destiny, Destiny uh, kind of illegally, right? <laughs> uh, and then, but it, but it was out of our. It was, it's like you take two desperate. You take a desperate situation with uh, an egotistical leader. Uh, and you kind of, uh, get forced into these situations. And for Gin, I think it was like, she was really skilled at whatever she did at that podium. The apple core? <laughs> yep. The... Oh, look at me. Do I look, do I look like I know what I'm doing? Um, and then, uh, oh yeah. And then I, and then I remember I, I saved, uh, Blue Diamond Phillips mm-hmm. <laughs> and killed that really bad guy. And then then we were slowly friends. Absolutely. That's what I remember. I don't remember very much. No, it's okay. Do you remember Rona Mitra? You know, I never worked with her because she came on at the end of uh, season one, right? Yes. They, that, didn't they, didn't they uh, board at the end of season one? I wasn't introduced until beginning of season two. Yeah. Um, so, point. and I think... They ended up killing her at the. Yes, Lou Diamond Phillips and and um, Ronamitra have a have a a shootout, oh. and they both go down, and then it was left hanging at the Got end it. of season one. Who um, who survived who because they were debating whether or not to bring her back, and they chose oh, not to. Yes. So then we they brought in. I'm I'm trying to remember if um, uh, Simeon in in Stargate if he was. Um, in if he was in the season, I don't think so I think one. it's been so long I... since I've seen it um, oh Simeon right fantastic mm. Robert is it Robert uh, Robert Nepper Nepper he's great fantastic he's actor. really good oh man I know yeah he's really good um, yeah yeah I don't think he was in the I think that they kind of maybe I'm wrong but or maybe I wonder if the guy that I ended up killing in season two, the beginning of season two, was he introduced with Rona at the I'm end of season to, one? I'm trying to see right now. This is, this is so probably, professional of me. You know, they could have used the that the opportunity of the season break to be like, all right, well, who are gonna, who are going to be our Lucian Alliance regulars? Right. You know, I think they they had that break to kind of yeah. hash that out. Nepper wasn't introduced until season uh, until season two, so I think that he yeah. Uh, uh, and I think Mike um, Dopid Dopud. and oh. Dopud, uh yeah, he's great too. Fantastic actor. Um, yeah, what, I think we all came on in season two. What was the costume like? Uh, <laughs> I remember. <laughs> okay, this is my favorite costume-related story. Uh, it was basically head-to-toe leather. I think mm-hmm. I was vegan at the time, and the costume designer was so lovely and had me. Actually, I don't think I wore, um, there was no fake leather, but she uh, allowed me to like, they resized someone else's pants or outfit. So most of my outfit was reused rather than like made from new leather. And I thought that was really, that was really nice um, to do because I cared about that. Um, And I think there's one scene of, I don't remember. I think it's like me, David, Elise, Maybe Brian mm. in the in the um, 
commissary, right? Mm-hmm. Where we're sitting at the table and we're drinking and eating and stuff. And at the very end of the scene, <laughs> I think, and of course, once you start doing an action on take one, you have to keep doing the same thing, right? So you have to match it up. And so it was like I had was reaching, you can't see me, I was reaching for my cup and I took it in to sip. And so the scene would end and it would be complete silence. And then you hear, <laughs> the leather creaking. <laughs> it was just like one of those things, like you couldn't stop it and then you can't stop laughing and um because you're I expecting it every time every single time and then you're just like waiting for it you're like we'll try not to do it um yeah that's probably my biggest memory of the costume was how creaky it was um when it was very quiet on set you let in on a little bit of the fact that um your character was very uh, uh, technical oriented. And those characters have a very specific place in Stargate because they move the plot forward with their dialogue. You are looking yeah. at a screen that is giving out information in ancient, you know, which is just a, just a, a, a font transposition and having to say that the star is going to explode or, you know, the ship is not wanting to go back into hyperspace right. or whatever. Was yeah. the dialogue uh, tough? Oh, yeah, I anytime I have and I do remember in particular, I, I haven't I haven't gone back and watched it to, to remember which one was the worst, you know, the hardest. <laughs> um, but I have I am very good at I'm a very quick memorizer. Well, that's so, good in your um, profession. That's so important. It, it, it definitely helps like um, because I, I, I it's like you have to just like memorize these words that you don't really know what they mean. Um, so, but once they're in my head, then I was able to like, kind of discover more of their meaning, but I swear there, uh, I, I remember even being on set going. And then like, I think I kept my sides either like under, like right near me so that I could look <laughs> at them right before because right. it's just really hard to do dialogue that like, it would be hard to play a, a, a physicist or a, um, a surgeon, right? Cause you're just all yeah. these sentences that are like, kind of like memorizing another language. Mm-hmm. You just, you don't, it's, it's hard to say them with meaning right. because they're they're you know it's not random but you have to take the context of the story in order to decrypt what they're talking about because we're dealing with alien technology and the alien technology has its own function but we have to get somewhere in the story with it yeah yeah so it was it was definitely challenging but um i mean i like playing the nerd i like those tech techie girls i mean i like the i like the nerdy characters um I, I want to do more of that. I'm ready for more. <laughs> I, I, uh, one of my favorite lines uh, of, of Gens, and I put it at, at the beginning of each show, I put, I put a character's quote, and it's yeah. something along the lines of, you know, I trust numbers more than anything because numbers don't lie. You know? Yeah. That speaks to a lot of what that character was because as a member of the Lucian Alliance, and I can tell you a little bit of that backstory, is they, um, they rose up when the Gould were defeated across the galaxy. And so the the criminals, the 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 most dodgy underworld elements of, of the galaxy banded together. And so she right. was kind of, as I would imagine, swept along with that. Yeah. And her 
her utility as a scientist became very advantageous. But she had, mm-hmm. I would imagine, very little power outside of that. So yeah. you know, to be in a position across the universe where she was then cut off from the rest of that clan that she was with and with mm-hmm. people that she could perhaps make a life with, like with Eli, gave mm-hmm. her, I, mean, I suspect, a fair amount of power. Yeah. It's like, now yeah. I'm in a place where I can start forming my own destiny. Pardon right. the pun. Oh, there you go. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And the, the trouble she's seen and uh, experienced coming with her into this mm-hmm. new possible ship it, life is yeah it makes it even more important to kind of have some roots with nice people before we get specifically to david who was uh and obviously still sounds like still a very important part of your life yeah um the the biggest relationship for for again on that show was with him um any of the other cast in particular you mentioned that long uh uh scene of dialogue with ming when when yeah. uh, camille is kind of interviewing the Lucian Alliance just to see who's trustworthy and who may have use uh, as a member of the team. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think my, uh, in terms of my, my relationship with the actors now Mm. or just the experience then, what what are you, what are you? Uh, Who, who did you uh, enjoy working off of? Oh gosh. I I apologize for being. No, it's okay. Um, I I mean, honestly, there was not a bad cat in the bunch. (laughs) Everyone (laughs) was really fun to work with, kind, um, and and made me feel right at home. Um, Obviously, more of my stuff tended to be, you know, once they established me as, um, you know, I'm going to be on the ship now. I'm I'm going to try to be part of this group. Um, My, you know, Gin's attraction to Eli, um, both brain and body Mm -hmm. is it was you know that that's who I did most of my my acting with um so I spent more time with him um but like I said everyone I mean I I really really enjoyed doing the when when uh Chloe and Gin and Dr. Rush is that Catherine Catherine played that role oh you're talking uh when we did like the triple like we were all in the same outfit and we the stone i sound like such a pro i'm um, such an sgu pro the stone that that we touched quadriplegic from earth yeah uh dr mandy no no it's not her no who else okay didn't she she had a relationship with with rush didn't she again no, no. The oh, the actress. Her. Yes. Yeah, um, uh, her. What was her name? Uh, it's been so long since I've watched this. I know. Uh, Mandy something. Uh, she was the quadriplegic uh, scientist from Earth. And she was key in your... Amanda Perry. Yes. Yes. That was that yes. actress was uh, Kath- Kathleen Monroe. Kathleen. Okay. Yes. My cat wants to get out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> There you go. Go on. Oh, that's too funny. Cats, man. Okay. Cat taken care of? Cats taken care of, yes. <laughs> what kind of a cat is it? Um, old. <laughs> no, he's, um, gosh, he's like 14 now. Aww. It's my first baby. Aww. I have like a little heating pad on the bed that I, because basically his life now is like, sleep and eat sleep yeah. and eat like all he wants to do is eat yeah. and i can't overfeed him because he's already old and mm-hmm. you know that's just really dangerous 
So I have a, have a little heating pad that I put him on in the morning so that he can like chill. And he, I'm like, I'm, I'm so spoiling yeah, when him. They get up there, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Kathleen yeah. Monroe played Dr. Amanda Perry. She was the, the yes. quadriplegic. Um, oh, she was quadriplegic. Okay. Yeah. And I wanted to so get to that. Playing that, that triple. Yeah. That was so, that was really fun. Cause one thing I was really impressed. Um, I mean, I've been on other shows where they have two cameras shooting at the same time, but there was mm. something unique about SGU where they were, um, they were always two cameras and they were, they were never still like they were they were always handheld. Now, maybe I'm not, maybe they weren't that always, sounds, but for my memory right. of it, yeah. it's just these guys were either on stools or just standing and just moving around and, and make it kind of gave you that natural. And that was another thing that was different. Was that different than the way Stargate universe, sorry, Stargate. The others were, uh, yes. The they others were wanting were to be more handheld. More still, right. Yeah. So they this were going with a firefly I, direction. Right. And, and it gives you, you know, a more intimate, feeling you feel more like you're in the room with the with the the actors I think it 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 kind of brings you in the scene a little bit more that style and I was just really impressed with how because they were so mobile we could kind of get away with sliding in and knowing exactly when to move away and the other actor would come in um it was like a like a big old dance it was fun not just thematically but in terms of production quality the, and technique, the SG was very different. I, I remember being on yeah. set and they were talking about even lighting. Like we would normally like light a, uh, a scene in a certain way. And now in this case, you know, we're not, now that we're on SGU, you know, this is, this is a murky ship and there are going to be some places that are just going to be underlit and we're going to play them like it's an underlit location. And yeah. so there were a lot of techniques that were used in that show that were not standard. Yeah. So at right. the time, what yeah. was it like? being strapped down into a chair and experiencing what it was like to be Amanda Perry back on earth, to be in a position where you're in a quadriplegic's body. <laughs> you're going to laugh because I don't remember shooting that. <laughs> okay. I have no memory. It's like okay. literally was that, was that in, in the chair in the, like, that's not I in the I destiny a... chair. She uses a stone and connects back to earth. And then she finds herself in the body of a woman who can't. Who can't yeah. Move. And that was Amanda Perry on earth. Okay. Don't remember shooting that. <laughs> at all. Yeah. At least it wasn't Sorry. a traumatic experience. No, it, I guess it wasn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I tend to like, I remember there's a photo of me in Rush's chair. Yes. From one of the scenes. And, and, and. And I was thinking, oh, is it that? But that's only because I've seen that, you know, that picture will come up on IMDb or whatever. And so mm -hmm. I'll, I'll see that. But no, uh, this happens a lot, though, where, like, there will be scenes or moments that um, have been significant and moving to, to people. And they'll be like, what was that like? And I'll be like, I'm sure it was great. I have no idea. <laughs> Like, I don't know. You did the work yeah. on the day and then you I moved did on. it. You know, yeah. that's, I mean, yeah, that's the life of the actor. In, you, in many you can't, cases. I mean, they're always, like I said, like talking about the black hearted killer role, there's always going to be those roles where I'm, that are going to feel way more significant than others. But ask me to tell you about the scene in that movie where blah, 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 blah. I, 
all I remember is that every day I cried and it felt good. <laughs> that's, I release. mean, really, it's just, that's, you know, you, you, you can't take everything with you. That's fair. So, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that was, it was in that state that, uh, Gin died because Amanda Perry was in, it oh, was in right. Gin's body on destiny when Robert Nepper's character, Simeon comes oh. in. Yes. And I, yes. And kills her. I remember, I do remember shooting the eyes open thing. That was really You're on the hard. floor and you're dead. Yes. And I remember being upset because like. You're brand new in the I show. Just, I know. I, I was kind of like new on the show and I was like, why do you have to kill me? Like, it's not fair. I just died on another show. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be alive. Um, did you get a call orig- from Brad right now? No, oh. did you did you get a call from from production? Oh, no, but I oh. did speak to them about it early. I think in one of the first few episodes, I was talking to Joe and okay. and he told me what was going to happen. So it wasn't you know it, a shock. Uh, yeah, no, I knew it was happening. I didn't know that they were going to bring me back until they did. You didn't. Um, I didn't, I mean, I didn't, I, when I was booked, it was for six episodes. Got it. Uh, and then, um, you know, they realized they could pull me back as a, you know, hologram or consciousness or whatever. Whatever it was. Um, whatever I still am somewhere up in Disney. <laughs> um, and, and that's, yeah. And so those were extra like, yay, I get to come back and be kind of alive. Um, you know. How did you play so, yeah. that? Did you play, were you instructed to play that as if, you know, you're not anything in terms of like a higher form, you're just, Mm-mm. you're just Gin and as a, as a non-physical presence. So I think, I mean, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, I think it was, um, story-wise, I think it really was used to, or maybe I'm wrong, but like it, uh, lengthen the the broken hardness of eli right so now she's back uh but you can't you can't even touch her you can't touch her you can talk to her and so like that's cool but is that enough Mm -hmm. i mean maybe not i mean Mm -hmm. maybe but maybe not and so i think i think that was i was used you know i i fortunately had the opportunity to be used in that in that sense to to come back and kind of just grind it grind that heartbreak a little more oh, for him uh story-wise so um yeah i think that's what it was it was like you are you are again you are everything you always were except you can't touch and you can't feel physical contact and how much how much will you change by not getting that how much you know how much can you handle i remember that episode very vividly it's called hope and yeah we had been beaten over the head so much over the course of that show by uh, uh, such harrowing situations being being clear across the universe, cut off from all of our families and everything else that's important. And we had lost Amanda Perry and we had lost skin in, in one blow. Uh, and then a few episodes later, we find out that their consciousnesses still exist <laughs> yeah. and persist in some form. And as a huge fan of that series, it is one of the greater unsolved mysteries, in my opinion, about where they were going to go with that and what they had in mind. Because these personalities were inside the ship and they were drawing power from the ship. That's why they had to be shut off at the end. Right. And I I think that it would have been interesting to see in, you know, a new season how 
the temptation of them being right there for both Rush and for yeah. Eli. Um, both people they love. Even, even, even if it's just as a voice in in the the tabletop, like if it is just a voice, it's it's their love. It's you know um, that would have been interesting to see for sure. And how how what lengths they would have gone to, what crazy things they would have done to create a new robot body and import that voice into the body or you know like what would what would these that wasn't a thing was it oh i don't know okay i mean ask ask brad i have no idea idea. but but i mean i i probably went there because i'm like i want to go back on the show so it's sci-fi you can can do anything how can i go back on the show well i could be a robot body and then my consciousness could be downloaded into my body it's really easy They'd already done it in Stargate. Are you kidding me? Uh, right? Replicators. So it's like, whatever. No big. <laughs> but um, I don't know how, you know, they would have done it, um, seeing as the show didn't star again. Um, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be back. So it's, uh, my my uh, my want comes from something else. But So when you did play that, when like, okay, so my consciousness persists somewhere, did you um, – did you go up to them and ask them what's next? Did you say, you know, is there, no. is this it for me? Am I going offline for good? Or do you have uh, you know, aspirations to bring me back like, again? <laughs> I feel like most actors, once we're killed off a show multiple times, we're <laughs> like, okay, all right. You don't want us here anymore. Got it. Um, or, or you like killing me. I don't know. Either one. Uh, well, you know, there's a there's a there's a fine line you have to ride between um, showing your interest in returning and uh, speaking freely with mm. the producers and writers about that stuff. You know, um, I think that it, I think they know to this day that, of course, I would want to come back. Right. It's you know, I, I don't think that was needed to the express. Uh, I needed to express that. But um you know, uh, you just got to be careful about where, how much you, you know, I knew that I wanted to come back, but I knew that I wasn't a main character. So you just have to kind of just hope. You're facilitating a larger story. Exactly. And you have to know that. So your ego knows this is, you're not here to, you know, be the title card. You are here to help Eli's story. That was why I was there. I was helped. I, I pushed his story along to help him be who he was in the final episode. Mm. Um, and I think that's important to know as a guest, as a guest player. You know, yeah. What's you're there. your purpose? What's your function? What's your purpose? What's your function? Well, it's not usually just to be you. It's usually right. to move their story along. The, Makes sense. You know. Yeah. What was it like hearing about the cancellation? Did you hear it from David? Did you hear it from, um, did you read about it on, online? I'm guessing I heard it from David, but I don't, I don't really remember, to be honest. And I know that sounds like, why would I not remember that? But I think that it's like, I think part of my mentality in this business is to shoot it and forget it mm-hmm. because it's too heartbreaking to hold on to the idea. The thought, you know, I, I, for instance, I'm, I'm on a show right now. I was, I am, I don't know, been dead since the beginning, uh, once again, but, uh, (laughs) a show called doom patrol and it's been 
amazing. The show is just like, I fucking love it. It's such a wonderful mm. show. Um, but I, like I said, I've been, I've been dead the whole time. And so that I can't, it's not healthy for me to really put too much hope in me coming back mm. because I'm dead and I'm not a main character. So it's, it's, it's like once, once my experience for an episode has wrapped and I, and I haven't been offered a contract for another episode, I try my best to, to just have enjoyed it and to try to let it go so that it's not, um, you're not aching for that job. You're not, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not easy. Sometimes I, I, I find myself with that little bit of hope and I try to just let it go. Um, because it's not about you. It's about, it's about the main characters and, and, um, so maybe, maybe not, you just Mm -hmm. don't know. Um, but, but I just, it's just not healthy to hold on to any hope. No, I think, yeah, I think you're, you have a fair point. It's, it's, it's about proper contextualization and you have to kind of compartmentalize it. Otherwise you just kill yourself. You know, exactly. You could, you can would have, should have, could have all of this. And it's like, at the end of the day, you know, I, I have the work that I did. And exactly. that's cool. And, and I'm, and I'm grateful for it. Mm. And I learned from it and I got to, I mean, with Doom Patrol, my co-star, I, all, all my scenes are with Matt Bomer and he is like just a wonderful, uh, scene partner. I mean, honestly, he's, he's so great. And, um, and so I'm like, wow, well, that is a, that's one for the books. So if it happens again, awesome. And if it doesn't like, look what I've already done with, with that, with that mm. role that, you know, could have just been one scene mm. and it wasn't. So yeah, I understand. that's how I, I try to, I try to, I do, I do compartmentalize a lot. I think you have to. Yeah. I have fan questions for you. Sure. So thank you for hanging on and thank, thank you fans for hanging on. All right. Gategabber. Did Julie, did you, did you ever compete in uh, the high school drama festival in Massachusetts or did you only um, do uh, musical theater in high school? I did musical theater. Uh, is he talking ACTF? I'm oh, not, it doesn't say. It doesn't so say, yeah. I know that there's, I know because I I did ACTF in college. Okay. But I do remember my, some of my college friends went and taught drama in local high schools in the area. And they did these high school drama competitions that I had never heard of. I don't think my high school, we were in in Western Mass. I think a Mm. lot of Eastern Mass, maybe Central, but a lot of Eastern Mass around Boston did this high school competition. But we, I didn't even know about it. Um, And yes, I mostly did musicals through high school. Um, Started doing more straight plays in college when I was like shifting, when I decided to shift my focus. I I really regret not having done the number of musicals that I could have done in high school. You know, it's one of those things where it's was like, do I go out and work and make money or do I play? And it's one of those mm-hmm. things looking back, it's like, I wish I you had taken more played. time to play. I did yep. a little, but I didn't do nearly enough. I wanted my own money. <laughs> I know. So, I know. The choices we make, right? Yeah. Do you think, so 
this let, let me contextualize the question. Russell Baldwin wants to know: um, Does uh, do you think that Gin uh, could come out of her isolation to help uh, Eli save uh, the crew of the Destiny? So uh, Brad Wright is working on a fourth Stargate uh, series, and it yes. will have some kind of a conclusion to the Destiny arc, from what I've been told. Oh, that's the, the, great! The amount of which Destiny's, as far as I know, we will discover what happened at the very least. Um, right, not that you, the, that the act would be back but that the uh Pop, that the, it's, we, but it's not yeah beyond the realm of oh, possibility okay. so okay. it could okay. be um, right do you think that gin would have a part to play in that i think that i mean my memory of that last moment is just eli all alone on the mm-hmm. on the destiny right who is he going to talk to yeah yeah of course i i definitely do and that's not me being wanting to be back of course i do want to be back on the show whatever it is in, in whatever aspect i would happy to be back but i mean i just look at what are his options to sit there all alone for years and years and years no he's gonna go in to where was i put i was i my consciousness was put into i, th- I think the core uh right but wasn't it put into like where you're not it's like uh the trash not the trash. yeah it's like a it's like a it's like a redundant it's like a secondary yeah. memory yeah yes they they put it somewhere else so to that be, to be safe i couldn't right yeah i think he's gonna figure out a way to to make safe contact absolutely because he has nothing else to do and he misses me there's nothing to lose at this point right right so. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see. We'll see what Brad comes up with. I, I know. know. I'm excited. I'm just I'm so hoping that too. MGM gives them the green light. They've been yeah, working on this for great. years. I know. Barry Barry, uh, you're a sci-fi fan. Uh, any series or film, um, what, what series or films are your favorites from that genre? Um, let's see. First thing that comes to mind, I loved, um, I like, I mean, any sci-fi I will watch and I will in- probably enjoy it um i loved fringe i love this multiverse mm. idea um, it was a bold show it was let's it, erase it was... our first three seasons why the heck not wow right <laughs> i mean and it i think it worked yeah i don't yeah I in think its it proper worked. context yeah so i don't know i i loved that show um I was super happy to, I was only in one scene of that show, but it was like such a fun character and uh, was supposed to come back, but it didn't. So remember um, the bug girl ended up marrying Scarly or like the Charlie from the alternate universe. And we got married because he needed, so the actor had booked, what's his name? Kirk, uh, Ace Vito. He had booked something somewhere else and Mm. so he wasn't there as much but they needed a reason for him to be away so we were on our long honeymoon and i was like Uh, but yeah yeah that was heartbreaking but uh because i remember one night someone was like you were mentioned on it again and i was like what and they're like yeah you're married what like i didn't know any of this but they just they needed they needed a reason so um anyway love that one um Gosh. I don't know. Give, give me some. Give me some. Some ideas because Battlestar I'm also Galactica, the kind of person... Firefly. Yes. Oh um... God. Yes. Battlestar. Love Battlestar Galactica. Oh, Absolutely loved gosh. it. I, I. I. I'm actually due for a rewatch. I haven't seen it. In I haven't a seen it since it aired, and it's one of my top five. So I go yeah. back and I watch scenes from it. I have it on my hard yeah. drive. But man, yeah. what a good show. 
so good. So there was yeah. there was a time when uh, Stargate SG One Atlantis and Battlestar were all on one night, and it was called Sci Friday. That was really the, oh, the major wow. launch of Sci Friday, and for yeah. years people talked about that lineup, how solid that lineup was. Yeah, all those three shows. Yeah, it was terrific. Yeah, awesome. That dude right there. Question for Julie. <laughs> Do you know of any behind-the-scenes plans for Gin that we didn't get to see on screen? Maybe even instances where you yourself were able to influence or change something uh, from the scripts. Was there any time in which uh, you, you offered a suggestion and they're like, hmm, let's see what we can do with that? Did you feel comfortable? I don't, I don't remember that okay. situation, but I do know that I was booked for six episodes. Mm. So I think that, you know, in seeing how well Gin and Eli got along, um, they felt comfortable. You know, I always, I sometimes feel like when I book a recurring on a show, it's like even Supernatural, it was just two episodes and then I was gone. It's like, it's just a little test. They're just like, okay, how does she work? Like if it's two episodes and she is a hell to work with, (laughs) we'll never see her again, right? It's cool. But if it was like, you know, she shows up, she does her work well, she gets along with everyone. I think that, I think it, a lot of the times it's just like a way to kind of test out because you never know what you're going to get. And also, is the character so, interesting? You know? Right. And how is it how, the others? Exactly. How is that going? You know, and, and, and is it worth, is there a way to have mm. her come back later? And, you know, I think, I think that, um, I think that it, it, because we worked really well together and they found a way to, to move the story along, bringing me back that I was brought back, but I can promise you if they didn't like me, they would not have brought me back. (laughs) Like there's definitely, you know, those instances where you're like, where'd that character go? And they're like, Mm -hmm. well, yeah. Uh, Christopher judge. uh, uh, I worked, I worked with Christopher judge on a, on another interview series called uh, dialing home. And he would talk about situations where there would be actors who would approach the, uh, the crew uh, or the creators and say, um, or their agent wouldn't say, can we get a multi-episode deal? And they're about, and they're like, how about no? And no, you're not coming back. (laughs) So it's like, you know, you had to be careful how how you approach that. So yeah, exactly. Scotty 0709. Uh, any funny David Blue stories? Anything memorable with David? <laughs> we haven't we haven't had any David Blue real anecdotes yet, and I'm hoping you can give us. Oh one gosh. Uh, well, from working with, I mean, I know him a lot more now than yeah. I did then, right? So yeah. when was this? 2011? Uh, just, Seven, yeah, nine, eight, I, eight, nine, ten, around there, yeah, something like that. It was a while ago. Um, I mean, he's always really fun to work with. Um, he's one of my most authentic scene partners ever. Um, I love even now doing, you know, uh, reading with him, having him help me with an audition or whatnot. Um, he always makes it better. Uh, he's, he's a wonderful actor and a really good friend. I, I, before the quarantine, you know, we, we've written, um, a couple pilots together so there would be days and days and days I'd show up at, you know, 11 in the morning. I'd stay till dinner time, go home, be with my family. Um, that was like my work day. We would work all day. Um, there's tons of David Bluff stories, but of course I can't think of one particular one. I can tell you one, one of my first memories of one of like the first jokes he said that was like super cheesy dad joke. <laughs> and, and it was, um, 
God, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to say it right. Um, <laughs> okay. Oh, how do you, how do you, what do you call a fish with no eye? With no eyes. What do you call a fish? I have no clue. Oh, gosh. I don't think I did it right. He'd be like, Joy, it's this way. No, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, he, I, I feel like he's always he's always got a dad joke ready. Uh, but yeah, he's just he's great to work with. He's a wonderful friend of mine. So I um, remember going to uh, San Diego Comic Con before their premiere of, of season two. And uh, the, the the actors were always uh, booked at the Hotel Solomar. Mm-hmm. which is on in the in the gas lamp district and what i was i was attached to mgm for for that project for a number of uh different things and david and the and the cast came in uh and i i he he saw me he knew what I, who i was at that point he saw me he um uh i so i stood up to shake his hand so this is at season two so we've already known each other for a year at this point he says uh, he said put that hand back we're on hugging territory now oh and yeah. it was like you know th- he is one of the most um authentic and uh genuine people um Mm -hmm. that i've because with actors you mean you run the whole gamut Um, yeah and so intelligent and thoughtful yeah yes uh yeah which makes him a great partner in right in acting but also in in you know the way we work together writing wise um we don't think the same so it it's great you know, I can come in with these thoughts and then he'll come in with these thoughts and together we're like, Oh, that's cool. Like that made something really cool. As long as you Uh, trust each other's instincts. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, one thing I love when I, when I work with him is, is how something that you think would be like this crazy idea or like, I don't know how this is going to work. And then it will bounce off he'll throw something that bounces that off and that it will create something totally new that never would have happened. Had you either of you not trusted that you could just say something really stupid, like, well, this isn't going to work, but uh, maybe it will lead us somewhere, you know? Uh, and so, you know, when you have that trust um, with a, with a writing partner or a scene partner or whatever it is, it's, 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 that's where the funds, that's where the fun is. I mean, last, creating last question for you. Akos Thomas Navaki, if you could swap bodies for an hour with someone on Earth uh, from the Stargate universe or in real life, who would you choose? Gosh. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I have no idea. (laughs) Who would I choose? (laughs) I mean, one of them who could fly (laughs) so that I could fly. I guess uh, Supergirl. <laughs> there you go. There's my answer. <laughs> I don't know if that really counts, but that's what I'm saying. It wasn't boring. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's that's clever. There you go. Julie, you've been. It's been wonderful having you back. It really means a lot to me. Thank you. Thanks um, for having me. I appreciate it. The uh, uh, the experience from a, a month and a half ago of of working in the. Uh, playing the game the ro- the role playing game oops um Whoop. any takeaways uh from that now that you've had that that time to reflect on it so um, we all everyone I had think it, so much fun it yeah it was really fun and i think i'd be better doing it again like i think that was like okay i'm kind of getting the idea of this and i think it would be more fun you know the more you feel more comfortable um 
you know, say pretending to be this person in this moment. Uh, Cause I was nervous. That I'm like, I don't how I, he's like, David was like, it's just acting, just act. It's like, but I don't know who we are, where we are. What are, what was my childhood like? What were the traumas that What's happened? My motivation? Like I, I, you know, it's hard. I was like, how am I supposed to know what to say? And so obviously it doesn't have to be that serious. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, I think another round I, I would feel more comfortable well, for sure. You know what? <laughs> I, I definitely think that one is in the works in the next few, uh, uh, few months here. So I'll definitely awesome. be hitting you up. Sounds good. (laughs) Thank you uh, so much again. And, you know, best uh, success to you uh, in uh, your future works. Let's just get through this uh, situation and, you know, see each other out the other side of it. Exactly. It's all temporary. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all to the fans who have asked questions and watched and supported. Uh, You guys are awesome. Thank you. We'll have you. We'll we'll be we'll be in touch really soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Julie. Bye, 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 everyone. <laughs> bye, bye. Yeah, yeah, you're you're, oh, you're good okay. to disconnect. You're good. Thanks so much okay. for your time. All right, thank you. <laughs> bye, bye. <laughs> Julie McNiven, again, everyone. Thank you so much uh, to Julie for uh, joining us for another episode. She was originally in the Stargate role playing game um, uh, test that we did in October. So if you scroll down through our archive or if you type uh, Stargate SG-1 uh, roleplay test, uh, you will find that, uh, that ga- you know what? I will link to it. I'll link to it. No no need to make you dig. If you want to find it, um, I'll, I will put a link underneath this, uh, this program. I do have a question for me. John42, are you or GateWorld, are you or GateWorld going to establish a parlor handle? I can't speak to Darren, but all I know is that I can barely keep up with the content uh, on the social media that I have right now. So I don't have any expectations currently to to add another one to the mix. So that is what I can say about that. I do have artwork for you by Razor7256. This is a drawing of Gin and Eli. A quick sketch that I did, says Razor7256, and an idea I really can't wait to finish. Um, I've been really caught up with school and everything, but almost there, so apparently this was a work in progress, but this is a piece from, I believe, 2011, so I think this is uh, the final version that exists. So extremely cool. Before uh, I wrap things down, or wind things down, I should say, it's time to announce our guests for next week. Jay Akavone. All three of these are currently scheduled for Sunday, December the 6th. Jay Akavone, Major Charles Kowalski. We'll be bringing him back from the dead. Talk about a guy who would never die. Uh, Jay is going to be joining us Sunday, December the 6th at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Then at 1 p.m., Darren Sumner and moderator Ian will be joining us for episode two of Stargate Trivia. We had a little bit of Stargate Trivia in the in the uh, episode one, uh, our premiere, but I consider this to be technically the, the second round. Uh, so we are going to be kind of throwing ourselves off balance a little bit by bringing a third into the mix. Ian, our moderator, has graciously agreed to join us. So thank you, Ian. So that's going to be an interesting time. On this episode in particular, 
instead of asking questions for the guests, I'm going to be inviting the YouTube uh, live streaming audience to submit Stargate questions for us to answer. So Darren, Ian, and myself, we will have questions for each other, and we're going to create a system where we can you know, parlay the, the questions at one another each and then uh, get, the, get a total. And then the tiebreakers for the questions will be questions, Stargate questions, hopefully hard ones, from the uh, live uh, YouTube uh, live chat. So Summer will be taking your questions in the live chat, and she will be uh, kind of omnipresently she'll be giving those questions uh, to us. So the three of us will, uh, we'll, we'll find out who the, who the winner is with Stargate trivia from your questions. So be thinking of some questions for us. If you're planning on uh, joining us for that episode, because those are the ones that are going to be asked to break any tie that may exist. And we'll uh, uh, wrap up the uh, wrap up the trivia challenge. Then closing us out on Sunday, December the 6th at 3 PM Pacific time. You asked for him. We've got him. David Nickel, Radek Zelenka from Stargate Atlantis will be joining us at 3 p.m. Pacific. Those are the guest announcements that I have for you. I hope that you've enjoyed uh, the program and are interested in sharing it with a fellow uh, Stargate fan. So before I, I let you go, if you like what you've seen in this episode, I would really appreciate it if you click that like button. It makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the, uh, the show grow its audience. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. If you plan to watch live, I recommend giving the bell icon a click so you'll be the first to know of any schedule changes, which will possibly happen uh, all the time. And bear in mind, clips from this live stream uh, will be eventually released over the course of the next uh, several days and weeks on the Dial the Gate and GateWorld.net YouTube channels. That's all that I have for you in this episode. Up next, we have the talented, the wonderful Miss Rachel Luttrell. And she's going to be giving us uh, her insight on Taylor Imagen and her journey with that character in Stargate Atlantis. My name is David Reed. Thanks so much for joining us. I'll see you around on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner. Co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith O'Mell, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes, at dialthegate.com. <laughs>